other side of midnight presents what you're about to hear is not a news broadcast perhaps you can help solve a mystery this is the Murano mystery I don't think there is a bigger mystery in history than what really happened with Charles Lindbergh's baby. It was 90 years ago this month, I think during Dominic Carter's show, I inadvertently said uh, that it was the 100th anniversary. No, it was 90 years ago this month that the 20-month-old son of one of the most famous people in the entire world was kidnapped at 20 months of age. And it led to what they then called the trial of the century. And over the ensuing 90 years... There have been a number of theories about what really happened. Somebody that has studied this and looked into this in a big way is Michael Chaplin. He's an adventurer, a naturalist, an urban treasurer hunter, somebody with a master's degree in anthropology and another master's degree, just for good measure, from an Ivy League university. And uh, he's also the author of a terrific book, which uh, I was going to give to my Uncle Steve because my Uncle Steve is a treasure hunter, but I fell so in love with this book, I decided to keep it for myself. It's called The Urban Treasure Hunter, a practical handbook for beginners, how to find, unearth, and identify valuable artifacts. Michael, thanks for getting up early for us. Okay, good morning. Thanks for having me. I I appreciate it. So, Michael, um, remind us, for anybody that might be a little younger or whose memory might be a little hazy, who was Charles Lindbergh? Why was he so significant? Well, Charles Lindbergh was the first person to uh, fly across the Atlantic solo in 1927. He was the the big star of America. If you picture like, you know, the astronauts, how they went to the moon, he was that person back then. They, they loved him. He was uh, a great hero. He lived in Hopewell, New Jersey. So to say that he was a big celebrity would be a dramatic understatement. Yeah, he he was like uh, the best of America at that time. America was coming out of World War One. They needed a hero. They needed an accomplishment, and he gave it to them. So, what sparked your interest in the Lindbergh kidnapping? It happened ninety years ago. Uh, a lot of people have studied it, written about it. What sparked your interest? Well, what sparked my interest is being a treasure hunter, and I was given a lead by like an older gentleman who probably lived through, you know, that that time period. And he suggested to me, you know, like they never recovered $31,000 from the uh, Lindbergh ransom and that the uh, kidnapper used to uh, live up in the Bronx and go to Hunter Island. And there uh, there is a uh, picnic grove or old picnic groves that are overgrown now that uh, it was suggested that uh, Hauptman may have uh, buried the money somewhere. All right, before there, we get to the was a good project. Before we get to the ransom and where the money might be, what you you mentioned the the kidnapper's name there. What does history record as having happened? What do people uh what what's the official story? Okay, in uh, 1932, that's when the uh, kidnapping uh took place in Hopewell, New Jersey, uh, somebody with a ladder climbed up to uh, little Charlie's bedroom, stole him, left a note on the uh, radiator and uh, warning the family that uh, not to tell anybody, but he wants $50,000 ransom and that uh, 
he would uh, be in contact to uh, figure out how payment would come over. In 1934, uh, all the bills were, the the serial numbers were recorded. And uh, somebody, and they took, a lot of the bills were uh, gold backs. In other words, uh, the United States was on the gold standard. So the bills were called gold certificates. And uh, what happened was, in 1933, they took uh, uh, the bills out of circulation. And they paid a lot of the uh, the ransom in gold backs, but they also, as I said, recorded the serial numbers. And uh, when they uh, found uh, Halpman, it was by him paying with a gold back in a gas station. And then the... Uh, Everybody, all the businesses had been alerted to watch out for these gold backs because they were they were taken out of circulation. So the uh, attendant or the person pumping gas uh, wrote down the license number on the ten dollar gold back that uh, Halpman paid with, and uh, that was located at a bank. And they called up the DMV, Department of Motor Vehicles. Who's, who who uh, has this license number, and it turned out to be Halpman. They picked him up in 1934. Uh, they swooped in on him on his, while he was in his car, and then uh, they tried to uh, get him to admit that, you know, he did uh, the kidnapping. He wouldn't say anything. And uh, then in 1936, he was put on trial, and uh, found guilty of kidnap, and that was a uh, crime uh, that was punishable by death. He was given the electric chair. And uh, since that time, there's still $31,000 missing of that ransom money. So you mentioned Halpman. Uh, the, the, The person that was convicted of this crime was Bruno Richard Halpman. He was a German immigrant, and... Um, so just so folks know, and the record's clear, the Lindberghs paid the ransom and yet the kidnappers still killed the baby. That's correct. And as a matter of fact, that's one of the things that angered the public so much was that, you know, even though the Lindberghs were negotiating in good faith and everything like that, they figured out that the baby has probably been killed like two weeks, like after the uh, kidnapping. And uh, the ransom, the kidnapping took place on March 2nd, and the the ransom was paid in May, and they found the baby in in April that that was dead, and uh, the coroner decided that it had been however long that the baby was killed, like two weeks after the kidnapping, and that... uh, they, uh, you know, the public was, was, was outraged that this happened. And, uh, you know, the uh, people that uh, conducted the investigation presented their evidence at the trial, including that they had found $14,600 in ransom money uh, hidden in uh, Hauptman's garage where he lived in the Bronx on Needham Avenue. And that uh, he... Uh, he, he, you know, he, he stayed very stoic about it, and uh, he claimed that it belonged to another German that brought it to him and went back to Germany and died of tuberculosis. Hmm. Um, it, it's, it's an involved story, but the point, one, one of the, I think one of the major points that convinces me that, that Hauptmann did it was that the, uh, one of the rails of the ladder 
is uh, at the trial, it was shown that uh, that came from Hauptman's attic, uh, from the flooring. He took a piece of wood and uh, he nailed that to the ladder. They showed that the nail holes, the forensically, you know, were uh, from the attic, uh, on the rail were from the attic. And that was pretty convincing to me, you know. And all, all the while, you know, the Lindbergh family, they were suffering. And uh, it, uh, you know, the idea of a conspiracy sort of like, you know, shocks me because I'd never heard of that until you mentioned it when I first heard about it. And that uh, Lindbergh, uh, well, it's a sad story, put it that way. That's for sure. And uh, we're talking with Michael Chaplin. He's the author of the book, The Urban Treasure Hunter. Talking about this, um, you know, this the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby. And we are going to have some people that buy into some of these conspiracy theories that deviate from the official far, uh, the official story. So um, your interest in this began when you got a tip about where that ransom money might be. So nobody has recovered. Ninety years later, nobody has recovered over thirty thousand dollars worth of this money. I don't know that. I can't say that for sure, because when I first arrived at Hunter Island, I met like a a German in his 80s, and he gave me a tour. And he said when they first caught Halpman, the place was filled with people digging the island up. (laughs) I don't know. But the point is, too, that if you find that money, you can't keep it because that's, that's, you know, the FBI has a claim to that money. And... uh, I always thought if I ever found it, which I never have, was that like I would get like some sort of a documentary made about it. And it would be interesting, you know, and turn the money over like you're supposed to. But uh, I, I can't guarantee that nobody ever found it. Although, you know, I haven't heard about anybody, you know, cashing any of the bills, you know, with the recorded serial number. Did you are you still looking for it or have you sort of thrown in the towel? I haven't, I haven't thrown in the towel. You know, I just need some uh, new leads. Since I've been searching, I found uh, it's very interesting because this German picnic grove where the German immigrants used to go to, they used to leave uh, their picnic uh, materials. They didn't have disposables then with garbage pails all around to put things. They used to bury them in containers. So since doing this, I found uh, 14 buried containers containing dishes, silverware, Pots, dishes, dishes, you know, all the things that you need for your weekly picnic. And uh, so, you know, there's always a chance that you can find something. Uh, I mean, I I found things that are out of it, too. I found an Uzi machine gun, which I turned over to the police. And I didn't go back to that spot for a year and a half. So I don't want anybody watching, you know, for who's coming back. So, you know. There's, Hunter Island has a very interesting uh, history. So, uh, there's the old Hunter Mansion there. You know, you can find all sorts of things. So if the money is still out there somewhere, it's probably in Hunter Island. Is that the best guess that folks have? Well, since Halpman was a regular uh, visitor there, he was a canoeist or a kayaker, an outdoors adventurer. adventurer. He may have – it's a good bet that he may have hid the money there. He, he secreted $14,600 in his garage. So I don't, I don't know where he may have else put it, or he maybe had a confederate that worked with him. It's, uh, you know, up in the air. But it, uh, 
as I say, you know, when they first caught him, everybody ran out there and started digging the place up. So maybe the money had been taken already. I, I do not know. Did you see the um, the miniseries? I think it was on HBO, The Plot Against America. Charles Lindbergh's a character in that film, in that miniseries. No, I missed that. Yeah, it's it's sort of a, a, an alternative history uh, that, that wonders what life would have been like if Charles Lindbergh ran for president and beat FDR in uh, in 1940. It's pretty interesting. I'd be curious to get your take on it if you if you do end up uh, end up seeing it. Now, uh in terms of the broader issue of finding treasure like the Lindbergh baby ransom, you mean mm-hmm. to tell me you wrote a whole book about this. It's the Urban Treasure Hunter, very interesting. You can actually find honest to god treasure in cities like New York. Yeah. As a matter of fact, New York City has tradition of treasure hunters, treasure hunters since the 1890s. There were these two guys, William Calver and Reginald Bolton, that uh, they, up until that time, nobody was going around digging and looking for things. So they were finding all these uh, Hessian encampment sites, Indian uh, uh, prehistoric Indian relics that were, you know, where, where the Indians lived. Um, and the newspaper picked up on it. They called them the explorers, and they were very popular. And, you know, they, they loved hearing about what they were finding. And uh, New York City, it uh, has such a diverse uh, selection of, of different type of things to find. You could look for caches like the Lindbergh uh, stash. You could look for, uh, you know, people go to the beach and they walk around like a vacuum cleaner and they find gold. They do pretty good. Um you can find Revolutionary War things. I found cannonballs. Uh, there's uh, a lot of things that you can find. Old bottle dumps, you know, where you could find bottles from the Civil War era or earlier. Um, that that That's done all the time. A friend of mine, he's a plumber. He found $25,000 under a bathtub in Goldbacks, actually. Wow. Uh, Right. He was uh, reaching for a valve to shut off the water so the house could be demolished in in, uh, in Brooklyn. And uh, he found these leather pouches filled with old $20 gold backs. Now, they weren't Lindbergh money, you know, a ransom, ransom right. money. So he got to keep that because it wasn't tied to a kidnapping. Well, he said, I'm not giving it to my boss. <laughs> I, you know, I, you know I'm not, I don't go too much into people, what, what they find, you know, just, you know, okay, that's good, you know, and you know, let them have their privacy. You write in your book here that you were first interested in exploring this, looking for treasure in uh, New York City by the big, big price of precious metals back around 1980. You write that gold was about uh, $800 an ounce. Is that right? It was the price of gold and silver that led you to want to do this? Well, for me, it's not so much what, what I find. I, 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 you know, people said to me, well, do you collect this? Do you collect that? I collect experiences, and I think treasure hunting gives you a, a wide range of experiences. And it's good to find things. You know, it, like, motivates you to keep going. Oh no, my uncle, uh, my uncle Steve, he spends all his free time doing this. Whenever he's not working, this is all he's working on. And uh, you know, he lost his wife a few years ago. I, if he didn't have this as a hobby, I don't know what he'd be doing. Uh, and uh, I suspect there's a lot of folks that are looking at the price of gold at nineteen hundred dollars an ounce right now and thinking, "Hell, maybe I'll try my uh, my hand at uh, at doing some treasure hunting in in whatever city they happen to be living living in." Hey, so 
obviously we want people to buy your book. It's called The uh, Urban Treasure Hunter. But can can anyone do this, or do you need some sort of special training in your view? Well, okay. If you you get a metal detector, get the book to go with it. It tells you how, where, and what to do. And, uh, you know, you read the, read the uh, you know, the reviews on Amazon, you know, and you'll, you'll see that what people get out of it. Um, it's uh, anybody can do it. Although in New York City now, I, I had a first edition of the book that came out in 1993 that was published by a uh, metal detector company. And right after that, New York City came out with a, a permit law. So you have to have a, a permit oh. to get that department of parks. It's free. It tells you what you're supposed to do, you know, and what you're not allowed to do. We can go. Very but, quickly, uh, yeah. very quickly, Michael, because I have to break. What, what's the coolest thing you've ever found in 40 years of doing this? A career as a writer. I'm not <laughs> kidding. No, because that's gotten me jobs. That's gotten me. Uh, Fair enough. You know, honestly. Uh, I'll, I believe it. I believe it. I, uh, the book is uh, The Urban Treasure Hunter. Its author is Michael Chaplin. Michael, thanks. We'll talk again.